Amen. Please take your seats. If you'd please turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Philippians in chapter 1. And with the Word of God open, let's pray and ask God's blessing. Our God and our Father, we thank you, O God, for your Word that is living and powerful and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray this morning, O Lord, that it will go forward in this unusual time and place, O Lord, without amplification, that you will make your Word visible and felt here, that in our weakness the strength of Christ might be perceived, that you would glorify your Son and draw us all nearer and deeper into communion with Him. And we offer these prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read in verse 8 down to verse 11. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When you listen to yourself pray, what do you hear? Are you pleased with your prayer life? Do you feel you connect with God well when, you're bo- when you bow your knee before the Father of spirits in heaven and approach Him through the Son and by the Holy Ghost? Are you pleased with your prayer life? What do you hear when you listen to yourself pray? Well, whether you realize it or not, when you pray, you're actually telling anyone listening what you really think about God what you really think about yourself, and what you really think about the church and the needs of the people for whom you're praying. When when you pray, you're telling people what you really think about God. I remember hearing Sinclair Ferguson once in a minister's conference say that our prayers are outwardly what our real theology is inwardly. Our prayer is a, an outward reflection of our real theology. What we really believe about God, who He is, what He's like, what are His priorities. Not what you think you believe about God. Not what you like to think you believe about God, but what you really believe about God is revealed in your prayer life how much time you devote to pray, the way you pray, how you pray, and so forth and so often, is an outward reflection of your real theology. That's pretty convicting. Prayer is also a reflection of your real anthropology or or your doctrine of man, what you believe about yourself and other human beings, how strong you are, how weak you are, how dependent you are, how much you really need God's help every moment of the day. Do you believe you can get out of your bed in the morning and walk to the kitchen and make yourself coffee? 
And if you do that without praying, you are essentially saying, I, I can do that, but I can, I've got this. I can make coffee, Lord, by myself. And of course, we can do nothing in God. We live and move and have our being. We need Him constantly. And our prayers also reflect how much we value and treasure the church. And this morning, as we look at Paul's prayer, we notice that his prayer is a reflection of his love for the church. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Paul's prayer for the church flows from his love for the church. Right? But that's actually not what he's saying. Paul's actually saying, Paul's, my prayer for the church flows from the love of Christ for the church. And that love fills me, and when I love the church, I don't love the church with my love, but I love the church with Christ's love. It's one of those areas where Eugene Peterson's The Message lets us down. When, when Peterson translates this, he says, Paul says, I love you so much, sometimes I think I love you as much as Christ does. That's not what Paul is saying here. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The love he has for the church is Christ's love for the church. Now that begs the question, how can Paul love the church with somebody else's love? How can Paul love the church with Christ's love, not his own love? Now as you've been here for any time at all, you will know that, or you, hopefully you'll start thinking towards the doctrine of union with Christ. That when we believe in Jesus, we don't just believe in Him, we actually believe into Him. I think it was in last morning's sermon, we talked about the two drops of water on the bonnet, sorry, the hood of your car, um, coalescing together and the two becoming one, and it becomes very, very difficult to tell the one apart from the other. And so when you believe in Jesus, you believe you become part of Him, almost like a, a, a Siamese twin. Sometimes those twins actually share the same heart together. And Paul is saying when, he, when he's praying for the church, He's, he's tapping into the love of Christ for the church and praying out of not his own love for Christ, but out of Christ's love for the church. So when we believe into Jesus, we enter into the closest and deepest relationship with him. All that Christ is and all that Christ has flows into us. The illustration I've used before if on the far side cartoon, you, Peter, James, and John are, are criminals escaping from um, this prison, and they're burrowing down beneath the prison and under the ground, and they're coming up on the far side of the wall, and Jimmy's pushing his uh, um, shovel up through the, the last few inches of dirt, and 
there's water dripping down. He goes, oh, it must be raining outside, boys. This is the first, this is the first free drops of free rain. And of course, as you look up, as, as Larson's genius so often does, you realize that above the ground in the air, there are fish swimming. And that Peter, James, and John are actually digging down, not into the free air, but into a free ocean. And suddenly that ocean, in all of its fullness, is going to flood down into their little burrow and wash them away. And in a very real sense, when you believe into Jesus, when you put your trust in him, you, as you poke your spade up into the throne room of God, and you, you reach up and lay hold of Christ, all that he is and all that he has floods your heart and becomes yours, his mind, his wisdom, his holiness, his affection, his righteousness. The same logic that makes your sin his takes all that he has and makes it yours and also his affection and his love. That he replaces my shrunken, self-centered ability to love other people and replaces that with his own boundless capacity for love. And if you are to pray like the Apostle Paul, that is where you must start. Not with the words he uses or the priorities he expresses, but with the love he has that's not his love, it's Christ's love. Because whenever you hear sermons on prayer, you often leave, or I often leave, thinking, I've got to do better. I've got to redouble my discipline, right? And get up early in the morning and spend time in prayer. And that's half-truth. But if, you're, if, you, if your prayer life is deficient this morning, as I suspect all of us are, we're all a bit like Aretha Franklin. We say a little prayer now for Jesus, right? And that's our, that's our doctrine of prayer. But the problem is not a lack of discipline. That's a tiny thing. The real problem is a lack of devotion, not our devotion, but Christ's devotion flooding us and filling us. And if you want to have a better prayer life, it's not that you try harder. What you need is not more effort. You need more of Christ in your hearts. Now, that was supposed to be the introduction. And about 45 minutes before the first service, I realized, as I was launching into the rest of a glorious four-point sermon, I realized, hold on a second, I've just begged a huge question. (laughs) I just told the whole congregation, you need more of Christ. And And they're thinking, how do I get more of Christ? And I suddenly thought, I'd better tell them. Otherwise, they're going to go home disappointed. So, lots of counterpredictable moments this morning. How do we get more of Christ in our hearts? How do we get there? I want to look with you this morning at three very well-known passages. I want us to see that we need to connect to Christ in our union, something we do. I want us to see we need to connect to the church in its teaching and we need to connect with heaven in our worldview um, if we're going to get more of Christ. Let's look first of all at John 15 this morning. We need to connect to Jesus. And you're supposed to be in theater mode. Um, so be quiet, please. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. That's the first thing to notice in this, this study. Your, your soul is a garden that is being gardened by God Himself. You're not on your own. You're not, you're not trying to connect to God and, and be better. 
God is here gardening your soul, the Father. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, immediately in the, in the branch of Christ, in the, in the vine of Christ, there are two types of branches. Those who are only visibly connected to him and those that are vitally connected to him. And the visibly connected um, branches don't bear any fruit. And the Father takes them away. The, the verb is a violent word. It's not lift up as some translations have, as if the branch is on the ground and not bearing fruit. It's much more violent than that. If you look down in verse 6, you'll see, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So that's a question for you this morning. Are you only visibly connected to Christ or are you vitally connected to Christ? Because Jesus says every branch that, that, um, that does bear fruit, God prunes. Are you a fruit-bearing branch? Are you vitally connected to Jesus? Have you believed into him? Has there ever been a moment in your life when you realized you needed Jesus and you reached out to him and up to him and laid hold of him? If not, Christ is here this morning. Do that. Call upon him. Send your soul on a journey to him and he's not far away from you. He's near to you. How does he prune us? Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken. I think it's interesting that Christ goes from pruning to the word, that the scriptures are the secateurs that God uses to cut off um, and to cleanse us as branches. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And interesting there, do you notice abiding and having being in, being in union with Christ is a reciprocal relationship. He does it. He abides in you. But you also have got to abide in Him. And in this passage, Christ always prioritizes your job in abiding in Jesus. And then He speaks about Him abiding in you. Abiding in God is something you must do. You must abide in Him. What's that, that, what's that mean? It's a, it's a difficult concept Abiding in them, it means an example of it, I think, is whenever the woman with the flow of blood met Jesus, you remember, and she said, as he walks past her, if I can just stretch out my hand and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. And that word contains the logic of faith. She touches. I remember Jesus felt there was power went out from him in that moment, and she was made well. 
And he turns around, who touched me? And the disciples are saying, are you nuts? Every, you're in a crowd, everybody's touching you. But somebody in that crowd touched him in a different way and drew power out of him. And even though we're united to Jesus, every time we believe in him and trust him for strength, for wisdom, for power to say no to sin, to, 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 be, to, to stop being anxious and to know the peace of God, every time we look to Jesus and touch him, it's like plugging a power tool into, a, into an outlet. Power comes out from him and we abide in him really and vitally and it, it transforms us. And apart from him, we can do nothing. That's, it's, that, it's that mindset of, Lord, I can do nothing. So we're standing up to preach and we're saying, Lord, help me. I can't, I can't do this without you. I can't do it. It's like in the, in the inside of the boy's Superman outfit, it says, warning, Outfit does not allow the wearer to fly. Well, there should be a, there should be a thing inside my pulpit gown saying, warning, garment does not enable man to preach. I can't do this, Lord, without you. And that should be our, our, whether you're starting family worship, whether you're making breakfast in the morning, dinner, lunchtime, whether you're trying to, to get through to an errant teenager who's not listening to you, whatever it is in life, when, when, you're, when you're doing anything, our... our, our uh, the healthy soul's first thought is, Lord, I can't do this without you. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. And the more of that you do, the more of Christ you'll have. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. you have, there's two things there. There's listening to God's Word and laying hold of God by prayer. Those are two ways you abide in Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to take this book and to internalize it, to read it, to think about it, to be in this book every single day. And to take what you read in this book and turn it in prayer to God and to commune with God over Scripture. You can't abide in Christ if you're not abiding in the Bible and in prayer. You never outgrew. Read your Bible and pray. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do you abide in Christ's love? You keep His commandments. Now again, you're not keeping His commandments to earn His love. Right? But you're kidding yourself if you think you're going to know his love if you walk away from him. It's like walking away with your, your blower, this electric blower. You couldn't afford the steel, um, all singing, all dancing, backpack, par, a gas blower. So you had the, the plug-in version and your, your, your plug doesn't go to the end of your driveway. And you pull too far and out it pops. And the moment it does, the motor begins to die. And likewise, when we turn away from God and defy him, we rob ourselves of the posture of a soul to experience the love of God. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
What is his commandment? That you love one another, right? So Paul saying, I love the church and I'm praying for the church. What's he telling you? I've been abiding in Christ. And as I've been abiding in Christ, there's more and more of Christ and less and less of me in my heart and in my life. The next scripture to turn to is Ephesians 4. So you abide in Christ. You connect to Christ. If you want to pray well, you can never pray well disconnected from Jesus. Right? Well, Ephesians 4. And Paul begins, and interestingly, he quotes here Psalm 68, which in God's amazing providence, totally not planned, um, we're going to sing later on this morning. Um, Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. I'm saying he ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? So Christ descended into the earth when he became a baby in Bethlehem's manger, but that was only the first step down. His whole earthly ministry was one step down after another until there was no more down left to go, and God broke him body and soul beyond the bottom of finite misery on the cross. And even then, after that, he goes down into the grave, the lower parts of the earth, which I think Paul is alluding to here. But he was down. He did not stay down. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So here's the imagery again of Peter, James, and John and their tunnel being full of water. Christ ascended to heaven that he might fill like a water tower. We lift the water up that the energy of that potential water high up will flow down and give water to all the town. God has lifted Christ up to the highest pinnacle of existence so that from there he might fill the universe with his fullness. But especially in the universe, he fills the church. Remember how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1, end of the chapter, that God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and has given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That the church is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. He fills everything, but he especially fills the church with his fullness. Right? And so Christ now, picture, he's exalted up from the lowest point, the bottom of the bottomless pit, to the highest point. And he's now filling the earth and his church. And he's throwing out gifts. He's giving gifts to men. What are these gifts? Verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Right? So, Christ is giving the teaching ministry of the church, elders and pastors and, of course, apostles and so forth. These are teaching ministers. 
There is gift from heaven to equip you that you might do the ministry and that the church might grow up. In what way grow up? Well, to full maturity. Verse 13 and 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What, what does maturity look like? Well, Paul says immaturity looks like being a big spiritual baby who doesn't know what they believe, who's wide open to the devil's crafty, scheming, slithering ways behind false teachers in the church. And a church that's spiritually immature is wide open to that because it's not well grounded in doctrine. What's the answer? The answer is that you connect to the teaching ministry of this church. Lord's Day morning, Lord's Day evening, Sunday school. And as you do what happens, you become mature. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that is, the unity of the content of faith, not the act of believing, but the content of what you believe. So, spiritual maturity means the church growing in unity, growing up to know what we believe about God and the universe and everything. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge is actually in Paul's prayer in Philippians 2 as well. 1, sorry. Um, it's experiential knowledge of the Son of God. That we don't just know about Him, but we know Him. That Christ is, comes down to make Himself known and felt through the teaching and preaching of your elders and your pastors. As John Owen said, God forbid that I would preach an unfelt Christ. We know what we believe. We know who we believe. And we know how to live like the one we do believe. To a mature man. What's that look like? To the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. That Christ is her elder brother. Unlike some of you who may think your elder brother is a complete and utter nasty person, um, Christ is the kind of big brother that all of his younger brothers look up to and say, oh, I want to be just like my big brother when I grow up. And that happens, Paul says, as the church comes under the teaching of its pastors and elders. We know who we believe, what we believe, and how to live like the one we believe. We, we become manly like Him. So we're no longer children, verse 14. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we, to, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each body is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the truth comes down from Christ through his teachers to the church, and it equips you for the work of ministry. 
But as you're doing that work of ministry, you speak the truth to one another. That doesn't mean you don't tell lies to one another, of course, but it means that your, that what your speech to one another reflects the truth of the Christian world and life view. Right, we'll come back to that again in a second. So, to be full of Christ, you've got, to, you've got to connect to Jesus. You've got to abide in Him. And that's something you must do in the Word, in prayer, uh, through a life of principled obedience. But it's also something that you, you need the church for. You can't do this by yourself. You, can't get, you, you can get Christ anywhere, but you can't get Christ better than you get Him here in the church general, right? Not just this church in particular. But you, if you want to get Christ, you've got to come here. So I never want you to think on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, oh, I've got to come to church this evening. No, you get to come to church this morning and this evening because you need Jesus like the desert needs rain. I can do nothing with I need more of Jesus. Where do you get Jesus? You get Him in church. You're taught what to believe about Him. And you're not, not just what to believe, but you, you learn to know whom you believe as you experience Him in the presence of the church. Right? Connect to Christ. Connect to the church. Is that, what your, is that what your Lord's Day is about? God has given you the Sabbath day as a day of days for you to connect with Jesus. Now remember, you can't do anything without Jesus. And on the Lord's Day, you show how much you really believe that by whether or not your number one priority is to get Jesus. And one of the reasons we gather morning and evening is to give you as much of Christ as possible. And it's my testimony, I can't get enough on one service. I need, like an old cell phone, I don't live very long away from the charging station. So I saw a wonderful picture in uh, uh, one of the only few funny things that came out of Florida this week, but there was a, a Tesla charging station full of water up to, and it said, you, and you thought smoking at the pump was dangerous. Um, but the, the older your battery gets, the less it can do away from its, its power supply. The more mature your cell phone, the, le- the more and more time it needs plugged into the wall. And likewise, the more mature a Christian is, the more they, need, they know they need Jesus and they can't do without charging. Or maybe, you're, maybe your soul is like so many of your cell phones. You forget to charge it, so you wake up in the morning, it's already on a red dial, <laughs> the little red di- line of death at the end of the battery and you're left all day limping from charging station to charging station in your car, and then at work you plug it into the wall in the meeting because it's about to die because you forget to charge it overnight in the morning. Well, we need to charge our souls on the Lord's Day. Of all days in the week, we need Jesus, and we get Him here. So we connect to Christ. We connect to the church. We also need to connect to heaven. You could read on in Ephesians 4, but I'm going to move to Colossians because it's even clearer.
Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, the problem you and I face is, in the world we live, nothing looks like it really is. Right? Like, y'all, most of you, look pretty ordinary. Right? No offense intended. And I say ordinary not by how you appear now, but how you will appear one day. When Christ appears, you will see Him and you will be like Him. Like Him. Exactly like Him. The glory that shines from His face will shine from your face. And Jennifer Aniston and all the Hollywood beauties will have nothing on you then. Maybe maybe way back when you were a beauty or a handsome young man, And then gravity took over, and now there's the baldness and the bulges and the bifocals and the bad breath and the bunions, right? (laughs) And like, and maybe you're like Winston Churchill's wife, and it was said she could never get used with not being the most beautiful woman in the room. Well, there's coming a day when Christ appears when the glory He has given to you now will shine out of every pore of your body so that the angels will not be able to tell the difference between the way you look and the way He looks. Now the glory will belong to Him and not you, it'll be His. But you will shine with it with an iridescent majesty that will cause the angels to by their heads as you walk by. You don't appear the way you will one day appear, and sin doesn't look the way it will one day appear now. Sin looks fun, looks classy, right? But one day, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming upon these things. You can't see that now. And the, and the church exists to connect you with reality. Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. Why does he call sin earthly? What he's saying is, put to death those things that people live for who only have this earth to live for. As Jim likes to say, people who believe that nature's the whole show. If you believe nature's the whole show, you will live for sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And we need a second dimension to our life or a fourth dimension beyond the first, second, and third dimension of this world, beyond time and space, eternity, the heavenly places where Christ is and where your life really is. This world is a realm of death and we need to see where our life is. I was talking to James before 
about how many of them, I said, why didn't people move their boats from, from Ian? And he said, well, they did. They moved them south because they thought the storm was going to hit 200 miles north. And they moved their boats right into the teeth of the storm. And when you and I live for the world, we're not saving our life, we're losing our lives. We're moving our life into the teeth of the hurricanic fury of God, which will soon burst upon this world. And we need to be reminded of heaven. And we're reminded of heaven in the church as we gather here. It's interesting, if you turn back in the Psalms, a quick second, and we'll end here this morning. Um, Psalm 92. My brain was crashing. 92, right? It's the only psalm in the collection called a psalm for the Sabbath day. Which is interesting. You think all of the psalms were for the Sabbath day, right? But actually this psalm is a psalm to tell you what the Sabbath day is for. Now, it's a day for worship. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Uh, to the music of the lute and the harp and so forth, right? For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you've done. Now, verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Now, what what he's saying there is, there's a lot to be said, and I can't say it all, but what he's saying is, all day long, you live in a world where evildoers flourish. And if you're not careful, the appearance of things will confuse you. And you'll think that up is down and down is up and in is out and out is in. And everything will be back to flat and upside down. And you'll think out there in the world is where life is. But God has given us the Sabbath day every single week to connect our soul to reality that we might see through the appearance of things. And realize these people who are flourishing now, they will not flourish forever. They're like grass growing tall and they forget that the lawnmower is coming on Saturday. And the Sabbath day today to bask in the beauty and glory and faithfulness of God and see His throne, His dominion increasing from year to year and to all eternity. But it's also a day to remember the passing nature of earthly things. And not to be overawed by the brief little strut of earthly authority. And the Sabbath day, the the Sabbath is a day to readjust our spiritual, intellectual, and moral thermostats and to be reminded what true prosperity looks like. So at the end, he says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in Him. These old people coming, and you might look at them, young people, and you might think, oh, they're so old and so, you know, so decrepit. 
but they're more alive than you could possibly imagine because they have got a life that the top root of their soul goes deeper than the deepest part of this earth. It goes down beyond time and space and eternity. And they are rooted in the life of Christ in heaven. And while you might be a young man dying, they're a dead man living. And the Sabbath day is a day to remember that. And so you have... How do, we, how do we begin to pray? It's not about the words. It's not about, it's not about the head. As Calvin said, it's the heart that makes the theologian, not the head. Actually, it was Warfield who said that about Calvin. And of course, Calvin's head was sharp as a tack. But it's the heart that makes the theologian. And it's the heart that makes the prayer, not the mouth. And we must pray with a deep love for God and a deep love for others. And we can't get that love in ourselves and from ourselves. It all begins with Christ connecting to Him, connecting to the church, and in the church connecting to eternity. And so as we fellowship with one another in this place, the great business is to speak the truth to one another, to remind one another of the passing nature of the appearance of things and to remind one another of what is really true. That's how the church grows up into Christ and becomes fully mature like their elder brother. So Christ is saying to you this morning, you want to learn to love? Come to me. I will teach you to love. And once I teach you to love, Christ says, I will teach you to pray. And you'll feel yourself praying a prayer and prayers that move heaven and earth because they come from the right place with the right words and to the right end, which is the glory of God, our Father, and the good of His people and the growth of His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for its power. And we pray, Lord, we thank You for the passion You're putting here, O God, in people's hearts to connect to Jesus to connect to the church and to connect to eternity. And we pray, Father, for our elders and our pastors that we will proclaim a felt Christ, warning every man, teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present everyone complete in Christ Jesus, striving according to the working of your power within us. And we offer these prayers, our God, in Jesus' name. Amen.